Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hi, everybody. We're the Homegirls, and we're here today with Sierra Netherton, and she's in Clarksville, Tennessee. I would love, okay, Tennessee is like my five-year plan, just FYI, so right? now I know a good realtor that's there when I get there. It is so beautiful there. Unbelievably beautiful. It's amazing. Have you, how long have you been there? Have you always been there? No, we actually, my husband, he was uh, stationed at Fort Hood. And when he was getting ready to get out of the army, we're like, we can go anywhere in the country. Where do we want to go? And one morning I woke up and I was like, we're going to move to Tennessee. So we did some research on the real estate market. We knew we wanted to flip houses. So this is where we ended up. And it was been about four years now. You're from Colorado though, right? I lived in Colorado. Well, I'm kind of from everywhere. We lived in Colorado Springs for two or three years. I did when I was younger. I didn't know that. Yeah, I went to Rampart High School. You're a super homegirl. That's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So how long have you been an agent? Just tell us a little bit about your real estate business, what attracted you to real estate, a little bit about your story. Um, so I actually never wanted to become a real estate agent. That wasn't my goal. However, when we moved here, so my husband was given an option when he got out of the army, he could take a one-time severance pay of $146,000 non-taxable, or we could have medical and health and blah, blah, blah for the rest of our lives. So we decided to take the severance pay, move to Tennessee and start flipping homes. So we took all of his money, invested in our first flip made a killing. I think we made like $73,000 on our first flip. So I was like, okay, well, we're pretty good at this. We did our second one, but I was like, why am I paying someone else to sell my houses when I know I can sell them myself? So the goal was to get my real estate license part-time because I had a full-time job as an operations manager. I was like, let me get my license. So when we sell our flips, we don't uh, have to pay commission. Why not hold on to the money that we were making? Got my license, sold our first flip myself, started getting referrals because of that one home and the rest just kind of snowballed out of control from there. So real estate happened by accident. I've been licensed roughly a little over three years, but I've only been doing it full time for two. So, so operations of what before? So what, what were the things that you did before real estate? Um, mostly retail, retail, retail. Uh, I was a store manager at a hot topic way back in the day, which is why I'm covered in tattoos and there's pictures of me with piercings. <laughs> and then uh, I worked at Best Buy for a while as an operations manager there. Um, and then I worked at Mattress Firm, which really set me up for everything that I do now. Mattress Firm is probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. Like if you would have told me I could have made over a hundred thousand dollars a year selling mattresses, I would have told you that you're crazy. <laughs> but um, Worked at Mattress Firm, transferred from uh, Texas to here, still working for Mattress Firm, and then got offered a job as an operations manager at a place called Advanced Financial, worst job I've ever had. They're predatory lenders, but the salary was generous, and Mattress Firm was commission-based. This was salary-based, retail hours, you always work, extended holidays, extended weekends, so I like the idea of having a Monday through Friday, nine to five. 
got with Advanced Financial, stayed there for about a year. I was doing real estate part-time while I was at Advanced Financial. And I started getting more and more busy in real estate. And I got to the point where I could finally quit my full-time job and just focus solely on real estate. So that career in retail prepared you well. At Mattress Farm, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a restaurant background from like way back in the day and you learn in retail and restaurants that kind of business how to put in long hours and deal with really mm -hmm. crazy people so that's right. a good background to have okay so one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on was I don't know your numbers so if you want to fill us in on that that would be great and really fun but yeah that's fine to me you've had in three years some really pretty explosive growth that's what people keep telling me although Sorry, I got a phone call. I didn't put it on. <laughs> no, <Instagram>. you're okay. <laughs> and that's probably going to happen a lot. So bear with me. No worries. Um, so everybody keeps saying it's like super growth. It doesn't feel that way to me because I feel like I probably could have and should have done more. So my first year as a part-time real estate agent, I think I was active for like three months and I did like $2 million. And then my second year in real estate, I went full-time in April is when I quit my job and I just went full time and I closed 12 million. And then last year uh, we closed $38 million in volume. So and it was like 107, 100, 186 houses is what I closed last year. And then in this your third year, year that, just so everybody hears that, how many? Uh, this, is, this is my second year as a full time or last year was my first year as a full time agent. Wow. And you closed 180 how many houses? 186 last year on track to do about 250 this year. Holy And crap. how many of those are you flipping yourself? Not, we're not, we don't have the capacity to flip for ourselves anymore. So our business model is more structured around helping um, sellers take care of homes that have been destroyed by renters. So we're focused mm -hmm. on for them and we have changed our business model a little bit and we're holding more than we're flipping because we're in one of the largest and fastest growing real estate markets in the country. So we're taking our own advice and we're scooping up rentals all over the place and we're turning them into luxury rentals. So um, we're actually closing on another townhome tomorrow. I think we have Harold, Artie Manning, Longbow, Dover. I have four right now that we're personally flipping. And then we have like three or four we're working on for our sellers. And then we have two rentals we're renovating uh, to turn into luxury rentals. So. And you have a team, correct? I do now, yeah. It was just too much for me to handle. So my husband, when he started seeing how busy I was and there's little things that he could help me with, granted he was in the infantry, so he never thought he'd be telling people how beautiful blinds were and <laughs> the tile's very complimentary to the backsplash. So he got his license to help me out so he could go show a house if I was busy doing something else. Mm -hmm. And then we decided we were going to try our luck at forming a team. Failed epically when we first um, when we first started the team because I was too busy to train people and I wanted new agents that weren't already the talented, as you can say. I wanted people who could come into real estate with a fresh perspective and right. who weren't already thinking that there were checks and balances that had to be done and a certain way that things had to be done. Um, Sorry, hold on one second. See, this is real estate life. Hey, Bill, can you call Kelly? She's called me twice. Kelly Baggett. 
See, that's real estate life. <laughs> she's, she's blowing up my phone, so I'm sure it's probably important. Anyways, and then of course, we are never more than like steps apart. That's my husband. Yes. Oh, he's I have like, questions about Bill. <laughs> yeah, he's my, he's my better half. Um, okay, where were we? I forgot. Sorry. Scroll you up. you failed epically. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Which we've about, all done. I, I was like, all right, I just need agents and I need agents quickly. So there's one girl I sold a house to, her name is Jordan. And she was like, hey, you know, that same conversation. Hey, I was thinking about getting my real estate license. And I'm like, yeah, you and half of Clarksville. Right. She's like, can you help me? And I sold her a house. So I was like, I feel obligated to at least talk to her about it. So she's been the longest agent on my team and she's absolutely killing it. So that part I did very well. And then I added more agents to my team without realizing they were going to expect things from me. All I wanted to do was give people leads so they could make money, but they wanted mentorship and they wanted guidance and they needed training. Gosh, I don't, darn I it. Those baby agents. Yeah, <laughs> it was just, and it wasn't their fault. They expected more from me and it was more than I, I could give. Absolutely. So we ended up downsizing the team again. My 21 year old daughter, Autumn, um, she was 18 at the time. She decided she didn't want to go to college. So I encouraged her to get her real estate license, which she did. She's 21 now, and she's been licensed for almost two years. Her first year, she didn't understand that she just thought mom was going to give her a bunch of leads and that she was going to make the same money mom was making. And I was like, nope, you got to work for it. So her first year, she did okay. Her second year, last year, she closed, I don't remember how much. I think it was like a little over $4 million. And she's, you know, so young. She was 20 years old. And she made $60,000 last year. So I was really proud of her. Um, but yeah, the team thing, we have a great team now. Um, I've started hiring more seasoned agents with the expectation that I am not here to train you, coach you, or mentor you. I'm simply here to give you pre-approved leads so you can go close them so we can all be rich. So how many um, people on the team? What's the makeup of the team now? <clears throat> I have Jordan, Autumn, Stephanie, Matt, who just recently um, got out of the army. Bill, and then my assistant, Kelly, who's also a licensed agent. And then we just added on one more. Her name is Morgan. Her family, she grew born and raised in Clarksville. Um, her family owns one of the best restaurants in the city. So she has great community ties and she's been here a long time. So she was the final addition to our team. We're not adding anybody else. So I'm curious about how you moved through the failure of the team falling apart so easily, it sounds like to me, and how you, because again, for everybody that's listening, we're talking about a really short time period. So mm -hmm. we're talking about like no more than three years here, probably what, a year, two years? Oh, the team? Yeah, maybe a year and a half ago. Two years, so, my time frame really sucks. I don't, I don't know, too busy. It goes so fast when you're having fun. It does. So how do you... I think that's one of the biggest things that happens to a lot of agents that want to be team leaders or team owners. They fail once and then they have like team PTSD and they can't move forward and they let that experience know. make them stuck forever. So how did you just like fail faster right through it? Because I don't have time. I, I, there's not time to sit here and ponder on, oh, how did I fail? What do I need to do? It was like, okay, this is what you did wrong. It was, it was very easy to figure out where I went wrong to know how to do it right the second time. Um, I, I mean, there's been a couple more agents who have kind of come and gone from the team, but that has to do with me personally and a lot of controversy that surrounds me and my market. Um, sorry. 
Um, so my phone rings. I have to apologize to us. We get it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't, failures don't bother me. Like it's, it's life. It happens. You can either sit and cry about it or you can just keep moving forward. I don't have time to sit and, and cry and be sad and be upset and be angry. I'm just like, well, that sucked moving on. And then you just, you just soldier on. So what percentage of just roughly of your business is um, built around flipping and what percentage of it do you think is, is what we would call like traditional real estate? Helping do you mean flipping people? my personal homes? Um, I, I flipping in general, like how, how much of that is your business and how much of it is just finding regular buyers and sellers? Well, the question's a little more complex than that because I'm not, again, we're not flipping very much for ourselves. So maybe... 0.5% is our personal flips. Now on the listing side, I would say 40% of my listings are from houses that we've had to renovate to get ready to hit the market. Um, so it's kind of a complicated question. So piggybacking onto that. So I do something similar here in Colorado Springs where I'll go in and I'll flip a kitchen, do a backsplash, carpet, that kind of thing. Do you have a budget for the amount of repairs that you're willing to do on behalf of your seller? No. Um, honestly, no, because I've realized that with those types of clients, um, sometimes there's just things that you know you have to do. And regardless if there's a budget or if they have equity or not, those are the people that are going to give you the best referrals because you're the ones that stepped in and saved them essentially. So sometimes we take a loss, sometimes we take a gain, but I mean, we just do what we know needs to happen to get the house sold. So there's not really a budget. It's just a list of things we know that have to happen. So, so what top of that, you're also doing staging, right? On every house? Yeah, we stage everything for free. Yep. So what is your average sale price in Clarksville? And then what is your team's average sale price? So 200,000 is the new average sales price from Clarksville. At least that's what was, um, that was released. I don't know if my team, my team's all over the map. I mean, we have houses that we've sold for $700,000. Um, but the majority of our clients live between 150 and $200,000. But I mean, there is no average. It's all over the map. I could add everything together and then divide it and get you a number, but it's not a realistic number because there's so much growth going on in Clarksville and the housing market hasn't caught up with the growth. The housing prices are going to start to go up once it starts, uh, the two start getting intertwined. But for now, houses that are costing 150000 we've been able to sell to somebody and then they sell it a year later when they're PCSing for $180,000 and walk away with a huge profit in less than a year. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer. 200,000 is the average Clarksville sales price. So okay. I would not say that you're, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you so much. You're not just staging. I, I don't even really know what to call it. I mean, so I'm a mid-mod girl and every single time you post a listing, I'm literally drooling out the side of my mouth. Like it's prettier than Pinterest. Mid-mod is my lady jam. Yes. Um, I'm going to need you to come here and do that for me. So, but I mean, this is like for people that are listening that maybe haven't seen your work, we're talking about like, you know, when you walk into a builder model home and every surface is set, you know, the, the couch is set, the tables are set. Like it is like, I would call it full blown 
interior design? Like, yeah, I, for sure. Is, so where is that coming from? Or do you use a designer? Are you doing that all yourself? No, I do it all myself. I don't have a background in it. It's Google images and HGTV. The thing is like people think you have to be accredited and you have to have experience in this and backgrounds and that you just have to have a computer and the ability to Google. Like if you can think of something crazy like orange kitchen and you Google it, someone somewhere has done an orange kitchen. So you look at the picture and you're like, no, that looks like shit. Or you're like, you know what? I love it. That's awesome. And then you just do it. And then if you don't like it, you repaint the kitchen. People are so scared of failure and so scared something looks bad. It's like, it, people are held back by failure and I'm not. If I do something and I don't like it, I spend a couple hundred dollars and we redo it. It's no big deal. But I design everything myself. I have no other designers. Some of your houses literally look like they belong in Architectural Digest. They're that beautiful. Hey, so I want to commend you on an amazing um, job. So I would love to know though, um, okay, so like an average days on market for your your market. So we talk a lot about like, is staging actually worth it? This is not staging. This is something completely different, but you know, how fast is your market moving? You told us about your average sales price, but, um, how much are you spending on a home for all of that interior work? And are you selling them furnished? I guess, help me out a little bit there. I've only sold them furnished one time. And that's because that was the, when the, when the buyer's agent brought me the buyer, they were torn between two houses. And she said, the one thing that would put that house in our favor is if it came with all the furniture and I'm ready to replenish my inventory anyway. So it wasn't a big deal. I just made the seller reimburse me for the cost of the furniture at closing. So basically the seller had to buy the furniture off of me to convey it with the house. Um, we get a lot of requests to have the houses sold furnished. Um, sometimes I'll leave a couple things behind, but it doesn't happen that often. I just offer a free design consultation with the buyer. Um, and then they're fine with that. But like, I think one of the terms that irks me and one question I get asked as a listing agent is, and I'm not mad at you, but they say, what is the average days on market in your market? And I'm like, well, that's irrelevant because in my opinion, it's not the average days on market. It's the agent. So my, well, what are my your average? I, so I guess my question really was more around. So obviously you're keeping a large inventory of staging. I have a 3000 square foot warehouse filled with staging furniture. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So I guess my question was more around how fast are you personally turning your listings? So 11 days is my average days on market. That's awesome. That's, yeah. So that's 11 days. And that's, I mean, it's probably gone down a little bit. It's probably more like four or five, but that's because we have a housing crisis in Clarksville. Um, I made a live video yesterday on my Facebook. There are literally 52 houses available for sale between 150 and 200,000 in my market. And me, myself and my team, we're personally working with 26 pre-approved buyers right now in that price range. And a lot of these houses need a lot of work. So the average days on market, every home I've listed in the last probably five days have gone under contract in hours. And some of that has to do with the staging, but some of it has to do with the market. When the market was slower, we were still selling faster because of the amount of things that we would do to our houses just to kind of put them and stand them above others. So do you have a thing that you do in each of your houses? It's kind of like your signature thing that like when somebody walks into your house, they know it's 100% yours like the second they see some feature? So like I know Nicole Curtis, she does like... Um, these monogram shower curtains on her show for HGTV. Mm -hmm. And then she always puts American flags on the front of all her houses, but no, 
We don't, but I do try to make the house as unique as possible because I know unique houses don't appeal to everybody, but it'll appeal to the one person and that one person has to have the house. So like colorful doors is my lady jam. I have a collection of doors. We've painted super different colors, bright green, bright yellow, bright orange, blues, blacks, purples. Um, so colorful front door, I guess if I had a signature, that would be it. But other than that, I really try to push the envelope on the inside of the houses, like my orange kitchen. Uh, I did a blue kitchen cabinets in one. Um, I did a very unique bathroom in my mid-century modern. So I just try to make the homes as tastefully unique as possible. Is that the one or is that your house? Which one has the trellis that's hanging over the bathtub? Oh, like the black beam? Yeah. No, that's one we just flipped. I love um, that. Not flipped, but that's one we renovated. So if the seller would have put it on the market, they probably would have been able to sell it for around $245,000 as it was. It was a solid house. It was just ugly and dated. So we put about $12,000 dollars to $13,000 into the house and we just got it under contract for three oh five. dollars So a little bit of money goes a long way and I luckily have enough background now and enough credentials and references to tell people like, hey, if you'll just put a little bit of an investment into your house, I can sell it for a lot more. And it went into a bidding war because of the, the things that we did. So are you fronting that? And if you're, if you're not comfortable with discussing that, I am, you are, yeah. I'm an open book. Yeah. So in most cases, yes, we are like the 1043 sugar cane, the one we just listed that was demolished by the renters, like feces, roaches, doors ripped off of hinges. I mean, it was really, really bad. They had no money and the house was going to foreclose in two months. So we are in that house right now for about $24,000 is what we have personally invested in the home. So, so we could get it. And it's under contract now. It went under contract the same day. But yeah, that's all our money. What would you say to a newer agent or somebody getting started in the business about how important staging is or going in and renovating a property, getting things ready to go before they put it on the market? What would you say to somebody that is just getting started and maybe doesn't have all the resources to be able to do that? So I'm super shocked by the amount of listing agents who've listed homes, but never actually set foot inside the home. Mm -hmm. They have their clients send them pictures that they've taken or, hey, use your cell phone and take some pictures. And it blows my mind because I don't think when you tell someone, oh, commission, we'll just say is 3%. Like it's going to be 6% so total to sell your home. I'm going to make 3%. Well, I like to tell my sellers like, hey, you're going to pay me $7,000 to sell the home. So I want you to feel like you're getting $7,000 worth of value. So new agents, if they want to get into listing homes, you have a special obligation to those people that you're going to do whatever it takes, whether you have to spend a couple days in there painting or you need to do a walkthrough on the house. And my biggest pet peeve is probably professional photography. If you're gonna be a listing agent, you're not gonna spend 150 to $200 on professional photography, you don't have any business listing homes. Amen. That's a disservice yeah. to the client. It's a disservice to you as an agent. And if I looked at an agent's pictures and the pictures were crappy, that is the last agent I would want selling my home, so. You really are a home girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so totally shifting gears. I want to talk about Bill for just a second. <laughs> so Bill is Sierra's husband who writes her the most wonderful, sweetest, intimate love notes I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he's show. amazing. How, how, what's your relationship? How long have you been together? Tell me all about Bill. We met April 1st, 2011 at a bar called Wild Country in Clarksville. 
and I was just coming out of a relationship and he was a month and 23 days away from deploying to Iraq for his final time. We met at the bar. Um, he asked me to dance a few times. I told him to leave me alone. I wasn't in the mood. And then finally, the last time he said, if I would agree, then he would leave me alone. So we danced and that's when he told me he was a single father of three daughters and that he was getting ready to deploy on May 23rd. And that was it. We moved in together three days later. I took custody of all of his children. We got engaged. He deployed. Oh. So everything oh. happened in like oh. three to four days. I think it was that point where, because I was a single mother with my own daughter around one of his daughter's ages. And I was like, okay, well, any guy that's willing to take custody of all of his children, I mean, being in the military is hard enough. Being a single guy in the military with three children is even harder. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, I, I, I'm very spontaneous. That's how real estate happened. That's how my business, The Blank Slate, happened. That's how everything happens. I have an idea and it pops in my head and I just do it. Because I'm not scared of failure because any failure can be used to your advantage. Um, so with Bill, it was just like, I don't know. It was an instant connection. So yeah, four days after the day we met, we moved in together and then he deployed, left me all of his children. And then when he got back, we got married in June. So he got back on December. We got married in June. What does it mean to you to have somebody that is this supportive to you personally and to your business? This is something that we talk a lot about being women in business, um, especially how, and women that are just starting out in the business, how spouses unfortunately can either be your best friend or your worst critic and it can you know growing a business can destroy a relationship or make a relationship it can destroy you as a human being not having somebody in your corner when you're trying to knuckle down and build something for yourself so how, what does it mean to you to have him be that supportive of everything with you um so it's an, it's an interesting question to answer because I can do this without him, but I wouldn't want to. So like anybody that thinks that they have to have that support to succeed, I don't. I can walk away tomorrow. Not that I ever would because I'm obsessed with my husband, but I can still be the same agent that I was. It would just be a lot harder. But having Bill in my corner and having him step up, I mean, he's got seven houses under contract by himself in the last month. So he's not only stepped up, but he's producing um, and so he understands because now we're in the business together. So he knows the struggles. If I'm getting Facebook messages at one o'clock in the morning because someone has a question about buying a home, he understands why my phone is going off and that I need to answer it because I'm always, I make myself available to my clients 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I set that expectation with them very early on. But Bill, he's just, I don't know. He's amazing. Like he does all the cooking. He does all the cleaning. He does all the laundry. He, I just sell. I just work that's and it's just a great balance and then we're always together we wake up together we eat breakfast together we go work all day together he drives I'm always on my phone and then we come home together and we go to bed together so I'm literally with my husband probably with the exception of when he's going number two <laughs> we're together every hour of every day and we don't as as hard as it is for people to believe we don't really fight that much like if we're having a bad day with a client or something's going wrong and I get in my mood or he gets in his mood, then we just give each other the space that we need to kind of break past that bad moment. But I wouldn't want to do this with that, with anyone else. You do own, a, tell us about the blank slate. So my old brokerage, hold on a second. I can show it to you because it's across the street from my brokerage. <laughs> hi, Chloe. Hi, office dog. Say hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. 
So that building right there used to be our old brokerage. That's the blank slate. So one morning, Bill and I were sitting in there talking to Norman, who's the owner's husband of Q, our brokerage, and they were getting ready to move to this amazing building that they conceptualized and created from scratch. And I was like, what are you guys going to do with this other building? And it's awesome inside. Um, it's like super modern, super industrial. Like it's a really cool building with a lot of potential. I was like, so, you know, what's the deal with this building? And um, that's Norman, by the way. <laughs> With Oliver. <laughs> oh my god. Truly is one of a kind. Um so we were sitting in the in the office and I was like, so what's going on with this building? They're like, oh, we sold it to a guy. I was like, all right, well, what's he doing with it? He's like, he's gonna rent it out. I think there's a dentist office looking at it, like a clothing boutique. I was like, this is a really cool building. That would be a really big shame. And I looked at Bill and I was like, what if we opened a DIY workshop in here? He's like, what the hell is that? I was like, I don't really know, but I saw him online once and I think this would be a cool building for a DIY workshop. And he's like, okay, do it. So I did. <laughs> so like the next day we went, came up with a name, opened an LLC and we're like, we'll figure it out as we go. And then it, the blank slate was born. So this what kind of stuff are you going to do in there? So it's already operational. It's already up and running. So you basically, you walk in and you have projects to choose from and you can like make your own projects. It's mostly vinyl and wood. So the welcome signs that you see everybody mm -hmm. has, um, gifts we give to our clients for closing, mm -hmm. just all kinds of things. We host FRG events, we host birthday parties, we host um, bachelorette parties. I mean, you can do everything. It's just a really, really cool space to go and create. And it gave me a hobby that I could do outside of real estate, which I have no time for. But I mean, I think any business has the ability to succeed if you want it to succeed. And if, if it fails, it's because you wanted it to fail or because you didn't do its due diligence. So, I mean, it's over there. We, it's fully staffed and it's thriving and it's just a lot of fun. I think I, the thing that I love the most about everything that you keep saying is so many people, whether they're agents or small business owners, they talk about they have to think about it and think about it and think analysis, about paralysis, it. Analysis, paralysis. Yeah. Analysis, paralysis. And you are just full steam ahead just kind of go and do it and that's it and what will be will be and I love that well so on last night because I'm doing a live video on my Facebook in a couple a uh, couple of hours on the pros of being a real estate agent because I get a lot of messages all the time about becoming a real estate agent because they see the success and then they're under the impression that all real estate agents drive Cadillacs and make millions of dollars a year and do some absolutely and can anybody yes um, but I want them to have a realistic point of view on what it is that I do to get there. But someone said, I really want to do this, but I'm afraid of failing. So I said, what happens if you fail? She's like, well, I don't know. I said, okay, well, what happens if you don't fail? I mean, it just seems like a very simple question. What happens if you fail? You lose what? A thousand dollars that you spent on classes. And then if you don't fail, what do you gain? An entire career. So right. I guess I'm just not built that way. Like I don't, I don't see that failing is an option. So then you just don't fail. I gotta say you're, you're inspiring the hell out of me sitting here. Oh, hey, thanks. So, so. <laughs> um, this may be, okay. So this may feel like an intrusive question and I, I'm fine. Okay. I don't mean it that way. And I really hope you'll answer it. I just want people to really hear how special this is. So did you come from money? Are you wealthy? You know, is that the reason that you've been able to do all of these things? Because I feel like some people that are listening might get overwhelmed in thinking, 
she owns multiple businesses. She was able to launch into this niche where she's helping people renovate homes. She must have come from more than I have because a lot of us starting our careers in this business are flat on our backs, on the ground, not keeping our bills paid and, and in trouble. So I just want people to know that, I mean, three, you're talking again, this is an arc of three years that you've created all of this. So, I mean, how did you, what would you say to somebody that's feeling like I don't have anything? I can't produce these things. I can't put all this together. So I was homeless living in a car with my daughter, um, right before I met Bill and Bill didn't have a lot of money. He's in the military. We know those guys don't make a ton of money. Um, and then, I mean, I did pretty well at mattress firm. Oddly enough, I was making, I mean, I worked there, I think for five years and for four of those years, I made over a hundred thousand dollars, but outside of real estate, that's because I worked my ass off. It wasn't because selling mattresses is an easy job. It's because you become an expert at something and then you just find a way to dominate. I became, um, I started doing traveling shows with Mattress Firm. We'd go to state fairs and rodeos. And that's like the elite part of Mattress Firm where you have to be selected to go and participate. And so, I mean, that was working like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. in harsh conditions. And I think you just muscle through it. But as far as real estate goes, no. I mean, the only money we had when we got here is what he got from his severance. But we invested all that into renovating and flipping homes. It had nothing to do with my real estate. But keep in mind, when I first started, I was working a full-time job and I was doing full-time real estate at the same time. So I kept my steady income coming in. So any money that I did get on a commission check, I could reinvest that back into my business. I don't think I used any money that I got from real estate in the first six months for my bills or for me personally, because I had that full-time job. Um, I solely reinvested it back into staging furniture. It wasn't hard to identify really quickly what the market was lacking um, and services that should be provided that weren't. So I started buying furniture off of Craigslist. I started buying furniture off the marketplace. If it was distressed furniture, I knew how to go in and just paint it and give it a facelift. Um, and I just started accumulating and collecting things so I could offer that one additional service that I, maybe someone else was offering it, but I wasn't, I wasn't seeing it being advertised. So right. I'm not saying there aren't any agents in my market that are staging and doing these things, but I wasn't aware of it and I'm a consumer. So if I'm not seeing that someone's doing it, there's hundreds of people not seeing that someone else is doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's it. I mean, I don't come for money at all. My mom, she sells things on eBay that she finds at garage sales. So, um, no, there's no, there's no family funded money here. It's all hard work. You know who I hope is listening to this? Agents who've been in the business for a long time, who want to get to the next level or have stalled in their career, who are too good. <laughs> and we all know we've come up against those agents before, the mm -hmm. ones that won't do the hard work. You're just a crazy, amazing example of what you can do in three years. From So I have an example of what you're talking about. So there was a girl that contacted me about listing her home. She had it on the market with another agent, an agent who's been in this market, who's a leader in the market, who's part of like the leadership at our association. And um, she was frustrated because the house wasn't selling, the house wasn't selling. So contract was getting ready to end. She gave us permission to go do a walkthrough on the house. Went and did a walkthrough. Some bedrooms were painted off, like it was awful, like green and blue and things like that. So that was an easy identifier and it was a more expensive house. 
Um, and then the house could use a good staging. So that was the first house we ever went into and we painted the whole house for her. We got it staged, we had it under contract in three days. But in the meantime, when I went to talk to that agent and I had to have him sign the release form because she had asked to be released from, her, his, from the contract. And he was like, so, you know, I told her she needed to paint the house. And I was like, yeah, well, she didn't have the money to do it. And um, he's like, he's like, I saw the pictures online. It looks like you staged the house. I was like, yeah, I mean, we, of course we did. He's like, houses in that price range don't need to be staged. It seems like a waste of time to me. I said, well, it got the house sold in three days. So it doesn't seem like a waste of time to me. So, and then I, he sticks with me because I always troll his listings and I always go and see what houses he has listed. And every time it's cell phone pictures and it's dark lighting and none of the houses are staged. It doesn't even look like a walkthrough was done before the client took pictures. It was just send me some pictures and I'll put it on the MLS. And he's been in this market for many, many, many years. And I think that's why I've seen the success that I've seen because I did not want a real estate mentor. I didn't want real estate training. I knew that if I was going to do this business, that I was going to find a way to do it my way without outside influence, without those people. Oh, this is how it's done. This is how it's usually done. This is what's usually done in the market. I didn't want to do what's usually done and what everybody else is doing. I wanted to find a way to do it my own way. And I did. And that's, and here we are. <laughs> I think you hit the nail majorly on the head right there because the world is changing. Our world is changing. And all mm -hmm. of these agents, hundreds of thousands of them are sitting in national Facebook groups all day long, bitching about Zillow, bitching about uh -huh. whatever new hotness is coming. I troll them all the time. Same, you know, complaining about what's coming to take their job. What's coming to take your job is antiquated wow. old agents who aren't providing value. And when you said, I say to my sellers, you're about to pay me $7,000 to list your property outside of this business where we deal with large amounts of money frequently. That is a shitload of money for it's the average money. American. So you're about to pay me $7,000. You have to get $7,000 worth of value out of me. So in my opinion, this is where the market's moving. It has nothing to do with what technology is coming in. buyers and things like that. It has to do with agents moving towards real value propositions. We aren't going to be able to just show up, smile, wear a nice dress, talk nicely to somebody and take their money anymore. The consumer is smart. People want real value from their agents. So I think what you're, what you're doing is, it's exactly right. And I hope that people hear this and listen and uh, learn, learn from that. Tell me what it means to you to be a woman in business. Do you think about it? Is that something? I don't know if you're going to like my answer. Hey, hey, I it's really I will. I don't think it would be dissimilar, quite honestly, to the four of us. Yeah. I despise the words boss babe, boss mom, boss ladies. Please. I feel like yeah. if, if we're going to go for gender equality here, it doesn't matter if I'm a woman or a man. I think it's just proven that if you're willing to put the hard work, and the work ethic behind what you do, I don't think, I, I don't feel special because I'm a woman and I've excelled in this business. It doesn't make me feel proud that I'm a woman. I mean, sure, I'm proud to be a woman, but that's just because society's taught me that I should be proud to be a woman. I don't, honestly, I like that's every time I see hashtag boss babe, I'm just like, eye roll, like, come on. Like, 
we're, we're well beyond that. We've had the right to vote for a long time. Like women are equally capable of doing most of everything that a man can do. And I just, I, I don't think it's relevant to me being a woman. Do you come up against, um, so to me, you're, you know, in a Southern market, you're, you know, us, the Yankees, we're not really Yankees, but you know, like maybe a little bit more like, they, you know, um, do you come up against men who give you a hard time because you're a woman in business or is that not something that you see or do you just let it roll right off you? If it would, I wouldn't even notice it. That's how little it would affect me. So could it have happened? Possibly. Did, uh, but I find the majority of my adversaries in my market is women um, because we all like to say that women hold each other up and women support other women, but it's not the case. A woman will tear you down faster than any man, not just in this industry, but in general, because women seem to be threatened by other successful women and they see them as a threat versus seeing them as an asset. So I don't think the only, the only instance I can think of is with my daughter because she's so young and she looks like she's 15. She went to an open house to do a video for a client. The agent was like, Oh, what are you 12? You know? So I think it, it was more of an age thing for her, but no, I haven't. I, like I said, even if I had someone say anything because I wouldn't have noticed it. That's how irrelevant to me. It would have been. You're like Teflon. Like, I feel like everything just bounces right off of you. Like you're a human mostly best and I'm obsessed with it. I wish mostly. I was like that. <laughs> well, so, okay. Yes. And, but I'm also like, if you, if you follow my personal Facebook page, I'm very vulnerable about the things that are said to me and about me, because I think it's important for people to understand that sometimes your words have meanings. For instance, I have an agent in my market who's been in this industry for over 20 years she drunken messages me at two o'clock in the morning and I've never messaged her. I've never done a deal with her, not in my life. And she said something along the lines of, if you died, nobody would show up to your funeral. And if they did, or all your daughters would say when they stood up to speak at your funeral is that my mom didn't care about how she looked and she worked all the time. And that was like, that just gave me the chills. I have screenshots of it. And then the, I mean, the message carried on for like three hours and I was just like coming back at her with kindness. And I'm like, well, you know, we've never even had a conversation before. She's like, I've seen agents like you all the time. You're in an up market and you think your success is, is something phenomenal and that you're doing something great. But the truth is it's just because we're in an up market, you've never been in a down market before. And I'm going to be there laughing when it happens. And like, I mean, it was just one of the craziest things I'd ever experienced. And this went on to like four o'clock in the morning. So finally, she actually ended up not hating me at the end of the conversation and saying that we should do dinner together. And I'm like, nope, deleted and blocked. But like, so I get a lot of crazy things like that. Um, You're not like every other But I think agent. most people, most women in business, we get that to some extent, right? And we're, I've said this a million times, we're expected to work like we don't have kids. And we're expected to work, you know, raise kids like we don't have to work. You can be all of those things. You don't have to be one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. It's a, wow. Oh, yeah. I, I could show you more. I mean, that's just one of the many things that I have dealt with from other agents in my market. And it's simply because, and I don't like using the word they're threatened because that makes it sound like I'm doing something that they're not but it's just, but you are, I mean, they are threatened. That's, that's the truth. And it's okay to say that. And the reality of it is to me, when you are in a down market, you've already filled a void that the market didn't know was there. And in a down market, you're probably going to be more successful in a down market than you are right now. That's Hannah. 
Hi, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hannah, let me tell you about Hannah. So when I first, and this, this is like tumbling on my end. So when I first became, I'm in a podcast, say hi. Oh, what's going on? I like your dancing, Hannah. Oh, thank you. I just <laughs> get so excited every time I see Sierra. She makes me so happy. I, I get that a lot. So let me tell you about Hannah. So one of the first deals I ever did in Clarksville was with her. And she just recently came to Q. She's got one of the most successful teams um, in Clarksville. And um, so one of the first deals I ever did with her and the house went into what's called Tidewater, which you guys know means that it didn't appraise. And that was a new to me. I didn't know what Tidewater was. And this is relevant to our conversation because I had asked a couple of other agents that I knew like, hey, what's going on? They're like, oh gosh, that's Hannah. She overprices all her houses. Like she's terrible to do deals with. She's miserable. I was like, I don't think I like Hannah then. So never had an interaction with her, never had a conversation with her. I just let public perception shape my opinion of her because all these other agents, and I didn't realize at the time, it's just because she was wildly successful that people were saying these things. So I allowed it to form and shape my opinion on who I thought she was. So the next time we did a deal together, my husband gave her a nickname. He called her Hannah Overpriced. <laughs> and so it was like this running joke and I, I wasn't mean to her and I didn't talk bad about her to other agents. It's just, you know, I was like, oh God, I've got to do another deal with Hannah. Like, here we go again. And then I did another deal with Hannah and something happened and we ended up like laughing and having a good time. And then as time went on and we started doing several deals together, I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, she's awesome. Like her clients love her, her team loves her. I, I'm kind of fond of her. I really love her. Like, why did I ever hate her? And I realized it's because other people shaped my opinion of her and I allowed that to happen. And I think the big wake up moment for me is when it started happening to me. People who I've never met, agents I've never done deals with, were openly bad mouthing and trashing me to other agents in the market who were loyal to me that would then come and say like, hey, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you went to a classic car and everybody said you look homeless. They don't know how you get clients when you look like that. Like, you know, I was like, well, again, I don't care. I've got, I'm probably painting a house that day. I don't need to be in high heels and a I'm business. too busy to get dressed. Thank you. Exactly. Uh, so <laughs> I ended up talking to Hannah when we became really close friends. I was like, by the way, I used to have a nickname for you and I couldn't stand you. And I want you to know why. And now it's like this big running joke. So every time we do a deal together, we always make some joke like, oh, great, doing a deal with Hannah Overpriced. Um, but I love that she's here now. We were just talking about this the other day. We were talking about how when we first came into the business, we had these total misconceptions about all the, the bigger agents or the mega, uh -huh. mega agents in our market. And now we are all those agents and we're totally the agents that everybody hates and why everybody has to have this super competitive and catty and weirdness between each other instead of just giving each other some grace and working together. I think together. it's because Bizarre. we're showing them what they're not doing and they're insecure about it, right? I don't think it's that they dislike us personally. It's just we're the ones that are showing them that they're not working as hard as they could be, right, for their client. Mm -hmm. and that could be why. Um, but I, I don't would know. say, I, Sierra, I, I feel like I need to refer to you as like the Bill Bilicek of real estate or something. Um, in that hoodie right now, because you're like you're you're owning the hoodie, and like I wear that stuff all the time because I'm I hate the Patriots. <laughs> I hate the Patriots too. Does anybody I mean, all hate the Patriots? I hate the Patriots too. Yes. I don't know <laughs> it's a Magnolia yeah. hoodie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I took my team to the silos for a vacation, and we actually like we did a drawing and took two other people with us. So, nice. Bill bought me a hoodie. 
So, so I mean, I moved to Tennessee. I don't have time to do anything else. So I'm going to move to Tennessee and work for you. Okay. That's like, <laughs> hey, that's my five years I mean, plan. I'm not adding any agents to my team, but I would be happy to. Uh, <laughs> not even you, Lindsay. No. I, I'll sing and dance and do an audition if I need to. <laughs> All right. I think, I think we could make that happen. No, I All mean, right. it's just, honestly, it's a lot of fun, but realistically your hustle has to match your paycheck. Like you can't, if you want to make $100,000, make $100,000. If you want to make a million dollars, then you have to be willing to make all the personal sacrifices that it takes. So I made my first million last year. And that's weird to say because I'm, you know, I'm 36. And of course, I talked about it on my Facebook and I got intense backlash, like she's lying. It's not possible. It's not true. She's bragging. Part of me, part of me wants to be like, here's my 1099s. And then the other part <laughs> is like, I don't know anybody in explanation. Right. But they have to understand that my phone starts ringing at about 7 a.m. And my best lead prospecting happens between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. Because everybody's home, everybody's relaxing. So like, if you want to make that kind of money, it comes with severe personal sacrifice. I personally couldn't have done this if I had a smaller child at home that required attention. My kids are all teenagers and yes, they require attention, but they're at school a lot or they're out with their friends. Um, so I do make a lot of personal sacrifices to do, but I want to retire in two years is my goal. So knowing that my hustle has to match my goals and aspirations. If I want to retire in two years, this is exactly what I have to do to get there. My kids will understand they'll be set up for success in the future. And it is what it is. I love that. I hope everybody heard that your hustle has to match your paycheck and you're a millionaire in a Magnolia well, city. And mostly, I think that's the yeah. coolest thing ever. <laughs> so what are your what are your future plans and goals? Walk us through what's next. Retiring in two years, what happens between then and now? What are you gonna do when you retire? I just mean like probably letting go some of the businesses. My goal for the blank slate is to get it franchisable so we can franchise it in military cities across the country to give military spouses an opportunity to open a business they didn't otherwise think is possible. So once we get to 10 franchises for every 10, we're gonna give one away for free to give someone an opportunity to own a business and set them up for success. Um, so I kind of want to let that go. I, I'm not interested in owning that business long term. It was never my goal. So hopefully the manager I have running it now, she can show me what she's made of and then we can just give it to her and just sign everything over to her and she can do her thing. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't set long-term goals because I'm so impulsive. Whatever I say I'm going to do in two years is probably going to change tomorrow. So right now, the biggest things we're working on is a suicide memorial garden for the troops. I'm going to open the country's first ever memorial garden that's dedicated to uh, soldiers we've lost to suicide. I lost my best friend to suicide. Uh, he hung himself in the garage. He won, he was awarded three purple hearts. He was a true hero and he was completely failed by the system. So um, I started a page, it's called Protect Our Warriors. And I think we have like 15 or 16,000 people that follow the page. Our posts reach millions of people. Our post engagement's like 4.6 million on every post that we make. So I'm like, well, now we have a good platform to try to make a good change. So that's one of the causes. We're opening up a nonprofit called the Trevino Project. Um, hopefully it'll launch this year. We just still have to work on our board of directors. And then I've already made plans with the city, Congressman Green, who's the congressman for the state of Tennessee. He's behind our initiative. So the city sent me over a plot of land or maps with plots of land that this that city owned. And we just have to pick the one we want and then we'll open up that garden and then hopefully roll that out across the country to different military communities. Because I share stories of other families who've lost their loved ones to suicide on my page. And one thing that they keep saying is, my child died because of war, but they were never recognized. 
they were never given any special recognition. They might have given their lives in a different way, but they still died. So that's what the suicide garden is for, is to memorialize and to give people a place to go to reflect. So that's one thing we're working on. The second thing we're working on is we have a foster care crisis in our county, in Montgomery County, really across the country. The problem is when kids are being taken from their homes, they're being taken to the DFS office or the CPS office, it's called different things in different places, and they have to stay there until they're placed into foster care. So they stay there, they're out of beds, they sleep on cots on the floor. I mean, you're ripped from your home and probably one of the scariest things that's ever happened to you, and then you're put in this cold concrete building, so we're creating a house that is like the transition house from that to foster care. So we're in the process of renovating the house, or we will be soon, so when a child is taken by DFS or CPS, they go to our transition house, which is going to be amazing and filled with games and gardens and animals and toys, just somewhere safe for them to try to acclimate to their new situation. And then once they're placed in foster care, they leave the house and then we get the next wave of children in. So um, my CPA is forming that nonprofit for us, um, hopefully this year. I mean, this year is our main focus is the two nonprofits one for foster children, and then one for the Suicide Memorial Garden. And then um, we're doing, gosh, there's so much. We have a bachelor auction that we're doing, Clarksville's first ever bachelor auction uh, that we're hosting. We're doing Clarksville Shark Tank this year. So Bill and I are going to personally finance one to two entrepreneurs in the city who come to us with a solid business plan. If their business plan makes sense and they feel, I feel like they have the grit and the determination to either, if they don't have it all figured out, to figure it out. We're going to personally finance their endeavors. So it's called Clarksville Shark Tank. That's launching sometime in the summer. We're giving away a free car um, July 1st. We are um, we're doing a scavenger hunt. So it's the city's the first ever citywide scavenger hunt. So every week we're going to release a new clue that has something to do with the city and it's going to make people get interactive in their city. Um, they have to decipher the clue, find out where to go, collect the clue from the next place, and there's going to be a treasure chest waiting at the end. I mean, like, I just have a lot of ideas, and they just pop into my head, and then I just make it happen. And then I have um, a group that I started called Speed Friending. They just started one in Colorado Springs. Um, Stacy, Stacy Mucha, she's in Utah. And then Carrie, Denny? Mm -hmm. Carrie, do you guys know Carrie? I do. I don't. Okay, so Carrie, she started a speed friending in Colorado Springs. She's one of the agents that's in my um, coaching and training program. So we're trying to spread speed friending throughout the country. It's great. It's just, I kept seeing all those Army Wives pages, like, we need friends. I need friends. I need to make friends. And I think we, un we, we overlook the mental health of our spouses because we're always so focused on the soldiers and spouses can come across as just being dramatic. But the truth is, it's a lonely life to live. It is lonely, it's sad, um, and military women are mean sometimes. So they reach out and they want that connection. And so I created a group revolved around that. So it's like speed dating, but for friends, and we've quickly grown that. I think we have like 280 people coming to our next event. So there's just always moving pieces to the puzzle, and we're starting new construction. So we started a uh, construction company, and we're going to start building houses this year as well. Um, I'm going to have to excuse myself. Out. I need to like get up off my chair and go run around the block because my brain is freaking exploding right now. Um, I need to know what your educational background is because I'm a high things, school dropout. One of the things that I get super up in my own head about is I don't have an MBA. 
I can't do any of the shit. I can't put this shit together. Like, so I get really, uh, I get really weirded out by that. So say that again for everybody. I dropped out of high school halfway through my sophomore year and got married at 16. I've been married five times. So I knew I needed to be independent because I just, I don't, I don't fit inside little boxes. Like classroom learning was not for me. I was falling asleep. It was boring. I wasn't learning anything I thought would be valuable for my future because it wasn't anything that I related to. So I got married so I could emancipate myself. And then I just started traveling the country. And then I eventually went on food stamps when I had my daughter and I was married to her father and he had another daughter who I adopted and we were low income. I went on food stamps and the, my caseworker, social worker, she was like, Hey, if you get your GED, I'll pay you a hundred dollars. I was like, challenge accepted. So I have my GED, but that's about it. I never went to college or anything. I couldn't do it. Waste of time. Well, I just want to say thank you. Um, I'm going to be very honest. I was having a really bad morning this morning when we jumped Me on the call and you have lit a fire under my ass and inspired me so much. And I just really want to say thank you for that. And I'm super excited to share this with other people because I think that so many people will be lit on fire and inspired by you. So um, is there anything else that you want to talk to us about? Tell us about anything you want to say before we kind of sign off? Um, I guess not. I think we pretty much covered it. Like if anyone is watching this podcast with the intention of maybe jumping into real estate, they need to understand that, um, people always try to say it's not quick money. It's not quick, but it can be, I mean, if you want it to be quick money, it can be quick money, but, um, takes money to make money. I don't think anybody should jump into real estate with not a dollar in their pocket because I'm going to beat you out every time for a listing because I can offer more value to my clients. Um, So just have realistic expectations, but it goes back to what I said earlier. If you want to do it, your hustle has to match your paycheck. If you know that you are relying on this income, then you do whatever it takes to make it happen. And that's just the gist of it because I think like when I made my post yesterday about, hey, if you're interested in becoming a real estate agent, I'm going to go live on my Facebook page, drop your questions below, and I'm going to answer some of those for you. There are some people who are like, no, not in this market. There's over 1,200 agents. It's a total waste of time. And I'm like, there were over 1,200 agents when I became an agent. I'm like, it's like people are so threatened by other people. But if you have tunnel vision and you only focus on yourself and your career, then there's, there is no other threat. The only threats you're making are the ones you're imagining. Like, it doesn't matter if there's 1,200 people, there's only one of you. Mm. So be the best you that you can be and out-hustle and out-work and out-work ethic everybody around you. And the money just, it'll come. People will trust you more. And people will want to work with you because they'll respect where you came from and what you're trying to do. I love it. I love everything that you've said. So how can people reach you? So when we post the podcast, we'll link your uh, social media information in there. But if you want to give people any contact information for you, tell them where to follow you. And My personal maybe, Facebook page. That's all I use. And especially people who are interested maybe in investing in the Clarksville market, because Good it luck. sounds like it's a great place to go. Sierra <laughs> will help you. <laughs> Good luck. I've got investors in California, Chicago, Texas, and there's nothing. There's not even enough homes right now for people wanting to buy homes. It's, I mean, it's, it's so competitive right now, but my personal Facebook page, your business Facebook page is a total waste of time. 
So your personal Facebook page is your business because that's who you are. And people want to do business with people. They don't want to do business with some fake image of you. So. Well, again, from all four homegirls and everybody that's listening, we just want to thank you so much. You were absolutely amazing and you're a homegirl for life now. <laughs> oh, all right. Yay. <laughs> we hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.